From runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 505, PowerShell at 10 Years with guest Don Jones. Recorded Monday, October 17th, 2016. Run As Radio is produced each week by Pwop Productions, providing professional media and podcasting services online at pwop.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brandon. This is Richard Campbell, and thanks for listening to Run As Radio, bringing back one of my favorites onto the show. This is Don Jones, who's the curriculum director for the online training company Pluralsight, and has been an Microsoft MVP award recipient since 2004, and has authored entirely too many books, <laughs> as I recall. Yep, it's been a lot. <laughs> Welcome back, sir. Thank you. Good to be back. PowerShell didn't used to own your psyche, but it sure seems to these days. Yeah, it does. Uh, I was a VB script kid at one point, but PowerShell was just so obviously a better idea. Yeah. And it's been such a fun ride, too. You know, I mean, <laughs> through the first four versions, it, it seemed every year or, or 18 months or so, we were getting like massively exciting new technology. And we're kind of in a, a, a really nice refinement phase with it now, which I like too. So it, it's it, it's a much better time, I think, for people to dig in and really start taking this thing to a, a very tweaked real world level. And Mr. Snover, the great inventor himself, has successfully sold it all throughout Microsoft, which is awesome because yeah, it means that everybody's using it. And made himself a tech fellow in the process, which I think is very well deserved. Yeah, yeah. So, and you run PowerShell.org on the side too, because the community around PowerShell staggers me how big it is and sophisticated it is. Yeah, and you know, it's not only that too. I, I always used to kind of moan and complain because back in the day, I, I started a VB script site, scriptinganswers.com, and it was always a little bit vexing because unlike the developers, like you, you look at these developer communities like Stack Overflow and stuff like that, and they're so into it. You know, yeah. you post a question and there's 10 replies and then people want to debate the validity of a reply. And if you could do it in two lines of code instead of three lines. And then with the admins, it was like, how do I do this? Okay, thanks. Maybe, <laughs> like maybe there'd be an okay, thanks. But the PowerShell world is so, so different. Um, I mean, the developers can look at us and be a little jealous sometimes because yeah. people, they're so giving. You know, our Q&A forums on PowerShell.org, you can get a response in five or 10 minutes sometimes because yeah. there's people who get that notification email and they, they're just on it and they're writing ebooks and they do webinars and it's all there for free. Uh, and I think the thing that impressed me the most one year, because we also run the PowerShell and DevOps Global Summit every year, PowerShellSummit.org. And, um, we stood up one time and I said, look, everybody keeps asking me if we're going to record these sessions. And the answer is no. And I'm tired of you asking. And I'm, I'm doing this like live in front of the conference. Please stop asking. It's really annoying. You've no idea how much it would cost to get the equipment to do this the right way and make it easy for the speakers. And somebody said, well, how much? I said, you're talking five or $6,000 per room. And we do three rooms. It, it'd be, you know, 15 grand. They're like, we'll do a Kickstarter. I'm like, oh okay, you know what? Expletive, expletive, I will. <laughs> so I set, I set the thing up and this is like Monday of the conference and I put it out on Twitter and I'm not joking, by Thursday, we hit the goal and then some. Wow. That is quite the community. It is. It's scripting. Why are people so excited? <laughs> it's not scripting though. And that's, I think that's why it's, 
it's a chance for people to, you know, VBScript was scripting and no one got excited about it because sure. as soon as, as soon as you really wrapped your head around VBScript, it walked away from you, right? <laughs> it was like Lady Luck in the casino. And as soon as you were on a run, she'd flip over to a different table because you just couldn't actually do it all in VBScript. But PowerShell, we not only feel like we can do so much more, but the way it's built, the things we can't do, we can build for ourselves. Right. So I, I think it just, it makes everybody feel an ownership of technology again. And, and we, we suddenly, we don't feel constrained to what came in the shrink wrapped box. It, it's our world and we can do what we want to. Not everyone's happy about that, but the people who are, are doing amazing things. Well, and, and there's also this sort of element of this is the modern way now is that we have all this code that, that executes for us a lot less mouse action. Yeah. Well, it, it's that. It's more reliability. It's more consistency. There's all those arguments. But I think the other thing, I've never met anybody who loved Active Directory users and computers. Nobody <laughs> ever. I, I was there sure yesterday, the literally there yesterday, struggling my way through. How am I going to move up my operative level of AD? You know, that's, right. that's what I was doing. And there's so many things. And, and they improved it over the years. You know, yes. at first, remember, you couldn't do bulk operations. Yeah. Well, all of our processes became so dependent on a tool that was created by a developer who had never met anybody who used that tool in the real world. Right. And the exciting thing about PowerShell is that we don't need those tools anymore if we don't want them. If, if Microsoft ships us some GUI that just doesn't do the job, it doesn't matter. We can get down and make our own GUI tools if we want to. Yeah. And again, not everyone's happy about that, but it is very much not Microsoft's job to figure out what every single business on the planet needs in terms of tooling. They need to give us the ability to do it ourselves. And the people who can and do are the ones who will own this universe in the end. And I guess they have given us a tool. Now they've given us this programmable tool. Right. And I think the biggest thing, and it's always the real battles I see in the PowerShell world is what aspects of this given product are accessible to PowerShell. Yeah. The Microsoft suite of products, the, the IISs of the world, Windows, even Active Directory for that matter. I was installing the PowerShell Active Directory tools last night. That's what makes the difference. Are you well exposed to PowerShell? Yeah. And they've even had good uptake with some of the larger, not third-party vendors, but non-Microsoft. Like VMware is yeah. very much on top of it. Citrix. There's a great Amazon website. Sadly, I think the PowerShell tooling for AWS might be better than the PowerShell tooling for Azure in some cases. <laughs> But that's where you are. Yep. You've certainly got a lot of nichier line of business style applications that just haven't caught on. But in a lot of cases, those things don't impose a huge management burden to begin with. And so it's it's not as huge of a deal. But you're definitely now starting to see companies push a little harder at vendors to provide that manageability layer. Some do a good job, some do a bad job, some still haven't got the message, but the ball is definitely moving forward. I sure. mean, this is PowerShell's 10th birthday this year. Uh, in fact, November is PowerShell's 10th birthday. And to look at how far it's come and how many people have jumped on board in 10 years, when VBScript in that same 10-year period, I was still trying to jump up and down, convince people to look at it. Right. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's, it's a sort of a profound difference. It is. Uh, and it's a, it's kind of crazy to think it's only 10 years because uh, we just passed the 500th show of Run As Radio, which is also about 10 years now. So, yeah, yeah. so we've been around the duration of PowerShell. That's an interesting you know aspect of all of this. Yeah. 
It's almost a question of where it goes from here. As I think a lot of folks look at PowerShell that haven't used it yet, and they think, it, well, that's all that DevOps stuff, and we're not doing that. Yeah, some people do. I think that a lot of people should really just kind of step back. First of all, it's reasonably safe to say that for the time being, we're not going to see a lot of revolutionary stuff in PowerShell. Right. We've seen most of that, right? We've reached the end of the Monad Manifesto, and we now have on paper all the functionality that, that Snover had envisioned for it. And what we're going to start seeing now is a constant, much faster cycle of evolutionary changes, tweaks and adjustments and, and more minor new things to just better fit what people are actually doing with it as they engage. And that means that if you've been holding off and kind of saying, well, I'm just going to wait till it's done, kind of consider it about as done as a computer thing will ever be right. and, and get into it. Yeah, it's as done as it's going to get. <laughs> but it's not just the DevOps stuff. You know, I mean, even if all you're doing is sitting down, improving your own quality of life by mm. automating some you know, mundane task, it's worth it. And if it gives you some experience that you can put on your resume that keeps your career up, as opposed to your job, like your job might not require DevOpsy stuff, but your career kind of needs you to be aware of that stuff. Right. And so even if just doing some local improving your life programming and PowerShell, even if that is just a way of you keeping your hand in your career, well, that's completely worth it because your career is your problem, not your boss's. True. Absolutely true. I talked to a friend of mine who uh, makes his living in IT. And for him, the, the, the PowerShell script where he ran around like Tom Hanks and the Castaway movie going, I made fire, <laughs> was uh, onboarding, onboarding new employees. Yeah. When all of the things that go in, yeah. it's like I turned pages of Word docs into a script. Yeah. And, you know, I'll tell you, that's probably one of the first things people look at because I think that onboarding is kind of a pain for everybody and it's just boring. Yeah. And it's the ultimate and tedious job. It is. The other thing to look at automating, which nobody thinks about, is some disaster recovery, some aspect of your disaster recovery mm -hmm. plan. Because what happens is the, the fit hits the shan and mm -hmm. things have gone things have gone wrong and you and your entire team automatically lose 50 IQ points. Oh yeah, no kidding. And now even the smartest of you can't figure out how to get out of this in the right order. So those are the things that you want to automate. So all you have to do is remember to go pull the red handle you made and let the computers do some of the heavy lifting so that you don't have to remember it. Yeah, I remember building in case of docs and reworking yep. them for trauma. Just to think in terms of, you know, I, as I literally dealt with the, we arrive at the location of the office and there's a smoking hole in the ground where the office used to be. Right. Nobody's doing a lot of thinking right then. It's a tough time, <laughs> right? You are traumatized and the way you organize stuff to deal with folks that are traumatized is a really interesting set of thinking. You know, it's, uh, it is disaster response. Like, how are you going to respond to this? Yeah. And you know what? There's so many cool tools out there now. You've, you've got things like Azure Site Recovery and there's an equivalent Amazon service where they can spin up crucial things in their cloud because your data center got trashed or whatever. But remembering, okay, I, I have to stand up the VPN. Yeah. I have to start those virtual machines. It's mundane stuff that you don't do every day. And so when the time comes, you forget. Mm -hmm. And that's the perfect thing to have automated somehow. The, plus, especially this quick response stuff. Yeah. When it's timely and you're trying to type it, you're just asking, you know, that's fat finger opportunities right there. It should be automated. Yeah. Yeah. Although, I mean, I like warm failover because hot failover is freaky. 
right? Like I've had the experience of a SQL Server cluster where it's failed over on the cluster and you just get a message. Hey, we failed over. Just wanted you to know. Yeah. No explanations because it actually doesn't know why that's happened. Just that's yeah. what's happened. And, and so, you know, there is an empowerment to, okay, push the red button. Like I'm in control of that button in terms of you're actually responsible for this is the decision-making process that led up to a failover. Yeah, exactly. And that's another thing that I I think is important to stress to people too. Some folks worry, you know, well, if I just PowerShell everything, I take myself out of a job. Right. Well, no, you you just take yourself out of the role of of being a trained monkey that pushes buttons. (laughs) You still have to make decisions. And wouldn't it be more fun to have a job where you get to use your brain and do what brains are good at? You know, I'm going to amass all the current information. I'm going to run that through my experience filter. I'm going to make a snap judgment on the right thing to do. But then I'm going to let the computer do it because I am a human and I have better things to do with my life. Yeah, yeah. The the my the speed of my typing capabilities is not the asset. Just like I I feel like cloud made your ability to spin a number two Phillips screwdriver is just not that important anymore. Yeah, unless you're working in one of those cloud data centers. I do you ever worry that the Amazons and the Microsofts of the world are going to someday have trouble finding people who know how to rack a server? <laughs> well, I, having toured a bunch of the data centers, they don't rack them either. It's the Dells of the world. Not a giant shipping container. Yeah, yet. they're already configured. I mean, they don't even touch those things anymore. They come yeah. in racked up. They run them for three years and then they send them away, and they're expected a certain percentage of failure in them. Whatever fails, they just turn off, and at the end of it. That's that. Set it off. Yeah. You know, the most interesting job in my mind in the cloud is the guy who receives the old container after the three years. Like, what do you do with all that gear? Yeah. I, I, one of my first certifications that I got way back in the day when I was working for Bell Atlantic, I was a, a, a compact ASE. And I remember having to go to the class and they, they, part of your class, you got the special screwdriver with the special Torx bits that, that compact used. <laughs> and, and it's like, that's not even a thing. And it makes me feel so old. Yeah. No, it's just not the thing anymore. But, you know, I still build my own personal workstations just because it's like shade tree mechanic work. It feels good yeah. to spin my own screwdriver and make my own hardware selections. Yeah. So the organization, the nonprofit that actually owns PowerShell.org, uh, the DevOps Collective, we have a an IT ops kind of education program that we run. And we do a little, actually a free couple of scholarships for it every year as well. And one of the first things we put you through is the A-plus training. We want you to get your A-plus certification. Right. And if you're in the prepaid scholarship side of it, we actually send you a kit so that you can build your own PC because we just don't want people to forget that. Yeah. Because you just, you know so much more about what the machine is doing software-wise when you understand the hardware that it runs on. Um, so we we still kind of, we, we ship those little kits out to the kids too. Yeah, and it, and I really do like what's happening in Open Compute and Open Nineteen, and and just this idea of getting down to the essence of hardware, especially in the server closet. Yeah. Um, before we change gears here, Don, give me one second here to pay the bills because this episode of Run As Radio is brought to you by Atlassian, the makers of Jira Service Desk. Jira Service Desk is a new service management software that IT teams will love to use. Built on the Jira platform, Jira Service Desk helps you deliver cheerful service, is simple to set up, and so affordable you don't even need your boss's approval. Try it free today and get a free t-shirt if you're one of the first 100 listeners to sign up at Atlassian.com slash runasradio. Well, what's next, my friend? Because it sounds like PowerShell's on top of the world and we're done. We don't have to worry about it anymore. Well, nearly. If, if you look at what PowerShell kind of gave us in, in version 4 and, and into version 5 and 5.1, it was desired state configuration. Right. And it's kind of the, 
the the promise that the system center configuration manager brochure always had that it never actually lived up to. Right. To actually have a document that describes what a machine should look like and let the machine miraculously know how to make itself look like that document without worrying about it. And it's a very simplistic architecture, uh, which I like because it's, it's relatively easy to explain to people. It's relatively easy to follow. But it requires us to think about our infrastructure in such a markedly different way mm-hmm. that most people, I find, try to bend the technology to meet the management processes that they've had for a decade. And that's where they run into trouble. And this is the the pets versus cattle mindset shift? Yeah, it, it very much is. And you know, it's. It, I'll tell you what it is also. The first cue that you're talking to somebody who has not quite shifted yet, which isn't a bad thing because this is a big change, is... Is there a way I can point DSC at one of my existing servers and have it generate a config of what that server looks like? Right. It's like, no, that's completely wrong. Yeah. You definitely don't want to do that. You definitely want to start from scratch. And I know that's harder, but that's the debt we have to pay for having done it this way for 20 years. Right. It's creating that document, that plan that's the real value here. That's the value. Yeah. And you you really do. And that's that's how you walk yourself into the pets versus cattle argument. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if I just analyze this one server, well, I'm going to look at its IP address and its name and all these unique special snowflakey things. And I, I shouldn't. And if I start thinking about, okay, I've got 20 servers that are web servers and they all do basically the same thing. But if I do these documents, I, I have to have one document for each, right? Because each server has to have a unique name. And that's where you go, ah, stop. And you can start having the discussion about maybe they don't actually need a name that you know about. And you can start changing the way you approach your infrastructure and and treating servers as disposable things. Right. What if you didn't know your server's name? That's a great line. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and, and you know, the fun line is uh, cows probably think they have names. I don't know. I don't care. <laughs> and that's the point. <laughs> Yeah, it's an interesting mindset. Now, Server 2016 finally out. Is this a new version of DSC? We've got PowerShell 5.1 in right. that, which has some some tweaks to DSC. Yeah, um, it's it's still basically version two of DSC, which is what we got, we got in, in Windows Management Framework 5.0, but it's right. got some bug fixes. It's got a couple little tweaks in a couple areas. It's the young tool in this set, right? PowerShell's got 10 years on it. It's on its fifth fifth yeah. version in a bit, but DSC yep. has really not made it to three yet, which is, I still have the reflex that three is the magic version number. Yeah, and true. Um, I think we're probably going to get to three in smaller steps. Mm-hmm. We'll have a dot one, dot two, dot three, I hope. There are definitely some things about DSC right now that are not quite prime time for a lot of organizations. The pull server that comes with it is well, it is now being described by Microsoft as a sample. Um, that was a relatively new position as of this year. It lacks some certain management finesse to deal with certain things. Microsoft's initial answer was, well, we're just going to use the, the pull server that we built for Azure automation, which is much bigger and much more sophisticated. And everybody can just put their entire pull server in the cloud, uh, to which a lot of customers have said, uh, what you talking about, Willis? Yeah, uh, no, so, how about that? <laughs> yes, so I actually, um, I spent some time reverse engineering because the, the actual pull server protocol is documented mm-hmm. mostly correctly. So I spent some time kind of reverse engineering bits of it and got some information from some, some folks on the team. And I have a, an open source project called Tug, which is an, a cross-platform ASP.NET core, kind of a wrapper. It knows how to 
accept the requests from a DSC client. And then in response to those, it will run a PowerShell command that you write so that you can, in PowerShell, code your own pull server functionality without having to worry about the the web server layer that that a pull server is. Wow. Yeah, so I'm I'm looking for a couple of folks to help me, you know, do a little bit of testing with that, but uh it's that's Is this in GitHub? Yeah. github.com/powershellorg/tug. Nice. Well, yep. And it, and there what kind of this is just PowerShell scripting you're talking about then. Yeah, so the the actual project is is asp.net core. Um, okay. But once that's done and tested, no one will ever need to look at that because it doesn't do anything except accept an incoming web request and then call a PowerShell command. And it, you know, it passes the parameters to the command. And so the, the command runs it. And I want to provide some like simple model commands so people can see what they look like. But I mean, I'm thinking when a node checks in and says, Hey, pull server, give me my configuration. Why would, why could I not write a command that goes to a database and says, Oh, okay, this is that node ID that he's asking for. So right. I'm going to grab this bit and this bit and this bit. and I'm going to munch them all together on my own. I'm going to create a dynamic configuration that might change 15 minutes from now when he checks in again. And you can't do any of that with anything that's out there now, but by being able to, again, code it yourself, you could potentially do anything you wanted. Yeah, there's no reason you couldn't do that, actually. It's a, all of the capabilities right. are there. Yeah. We tend to think about DSC in this whole mindset as image per specific role or machine definition. Yeah. You're talking about a more composed model that maybe I get yeah. security. I have an overall security specification over here and then a set of different role specifications. So when you, this machine comes at me and just go, well, it's these three roles plus you must apply this security spec and pretty much just compose the configuration of the machine on the fly. Yeah. Well, imagine group policy that could do anything, not just the registry, right. that had no dependency on a domain controller. Right. No domains required. This is just, we literally right. just reconfigure the machines. And so now you get a new security policy, you push it into this beast, and then you start walking through each of your machines saying, you need to go refresh. Get a pull. Well, and I mean, by default, those things refresh themselves automatically. Right. You can have them check in every 30 minutes and just, and, and the neat thing about the protocol is the machine can check in and the pull server can say, no, you got nothing new. Right. Oh, okay. And it's a really quick, fast operation. Or it can say, ah, yes, you need to ask for a new MOF. Oh, okay. Give me my new MOF. Okay. Here's your new MOF that I just composed. Interesting. Yeah. I'm just thinking about uptime too. It's like, could I, is this a way I could do a rolling update on a website? Yeah. And so that's kind of the cool thing is right now the the local configuration manager, the LCM on the node has no concept of maintenance windows or anything like that. Right. And there've been some suggestions for that, but so my first IT job, I was an AS400 operator. So I, I have this like knee-jerk reaction to putting more intelligence on the node. Mm -hmm. I want to put all the intelligence on the server. So the node checks in and it says, hey, do I have a new configuration? The pull server goes, you know what? It's not in a maintenance window. So no, you're good. Yeah, Call me back in 30 minutes. Oh yeah, you know what? Now you're in your maintenance window. Go ask for your config and, and jump in, buddy. So you can control all of that much more centrally, which I just think is is safer and and you know easier to troubleshoot and debug and maintain. Well, now we get into the sort of prescriptive mindset of how we'll roll updates and so forth. Like I've got my devs now working with the automated QA and they're getting to a gold build fairly rapidly, fairly often throughout the day. We tend to think about 
update windows as, okay, this one hour in the middle of the night when we're slowest. But you might have a bunch of them. In fact, I'd probably flip it over and go, hey, you can update almost any time except like this window, which is big European e-commerce time, and this window, which is big North American e-commerce time. Other than that, just keep pushing the updates. Just the idea that we could prescriptively say when you update and when you not update and never interfere with the rollout process in the meantime, that would be really compelling. Well, and, and think about a smarter pull server, mm-hmm. right? No checks in. Do I have a new config? Ah, yeah. You know what? You do. Go ask for your config. Okay. Can I have my config? Yeah. I'm just going to deregister you from the load balancer and then I'll give you your config. Right. And the last thing in your config is going to re-register you with the load balancer. So once everything works, you'll go back in the queue. So yeah, I mean, there there's so much you can do. And that's the thing is I think people keep waiting for Microsoft to create this. And you could obviously do a lot of it through OMS now and yep. everything else if you're taking the Azure approach. But Microsoft can't anticipate all the goofy stuff that every single company is going to want to do and insist on. But if if you've got a smarter server that you can put your own code into, you can do anything you want. You could do this yourself. That was kind of the impetus for creating this. Because the, the big hurdle with creating a pull server is not necessarily writing the code to produce MOFs or whatever else. It's it's the the fairly weird communication protocol between the node and the server. Yep. You know, they're, they're weirdly formatted URLs. There's a, a fairly complicated authorization scheme that goes on. So that's what I've coded. I've written that as kind of a front end to whatever PowerShell commands you would want to write. Yeah. And, you know, now I think about, and I've done this a lot in e-commerce in various ways with various tools. We have a pool big enough that we can run, we can support our site off peak with only half the servers. So you sort of update half the servers. Yep. Then you flop the workload over because it's usually a one-way trip, right? A guy's on the site with a shopping cart at a certain state. Now he goes to the next version up. Once he gets there, he can't go back. Cart is organized and so forth. I don't want to lose him because it's money, but it is sort of a one-way path. So now, you, I mean, talk about a little more sophistication around the pull server. It's like there's 10 servers in this pool that I know of. The first five to ask me are going to be pulled out of the pool and get their updates. And once they're all done, their next request will be to rejoin the cluster and take over the workload. And then the other five, when they finally call in, they'll get updated and added to the workload after the fact. Yeah. And and what you're describing is pretty much the exact reason we should never expect Microsoft to give us that functionality no. because there's so much per business unique process there that you want to code it yourself so yeah. that it's your way. Well, and it's easy for a guy in Redmond who doesn't run an e-commerce site to just say, yeah, you're going to trash the shopping carts. Right. And now, and now I've got a customer who's like, that is simply not an option. Yeah. Yeah. It, just that diversity. The fact that we now have an open environment, essentially, to allow us to do all this. And I appreciate that you're, you're building Tug in the open source world for the same reason, right? It's just Everybody can have a sufficient influence to do the things it needs to do. Yep. Uh, and I notice you're just focusing on the latest version of the of this crazy protocol of DSCMP or PM. Right. M- yeah. MSPSDS. Yeah. So version one of the protocol was for version four of PowerShell. Right. And it was significantly more limited. It really was not the the cattle scenario. It was still a very pet scenario because you had to have configuration IDs. Version five took us to a more sophisticated version of the protocol opens the possibility for certificate-based client authentication, which is fantastic, uh, which is what Azure DSC uses, Azure Automation. Um, and it it gives us configuration names and the ability to treat things as a, a member of a role, not necessarily a node mm-hmm, per se. Mm-hmm. 
so that's why I, I kind of decided to just do that. The, the version one protocol isn't going to go forward anymore. The version two is what everything is. They've only right. left it in for backward compatibility. Well, and again, you get back to this cattle, not servers. It's like, I care yep. about your role. I don't care about your name. Yep, exactly. And, and so the number of machines involved and the, the, their particular names, it's just not that important. It's if you're in this role, you have these things. And that gets really interesting. You know, there's a lot of architectural conversation going on when, especially when you talk about at scale about, does it make sense to have specific instances with single roles in clusters, you know, tier to tier versus for any given instance, it has every role available. Most workflows could all happen within a same instance, but no instance is unique. Yeah. And there's, there's been a lot of, of large scale web companies that have built that way. Right. I had a, a former CTO of mine who worked for CNNFN at one point, and they had a, a proprietary system in place that essentially let them monitor traffic. And when you know search traffic went too high, certain machines would suddenly flip over into that cluster, right. and, and they would serve that purpose. And they would just dynamically reallocate things. And, and they probably spent millions developing that. But we're, we're very close to having that kind of option built into the OS now if we just kind of code the management around it. Yeah, back in the uh, early days of the web really exploding, I remember a very large site, which will remain nameless, as the load went up, he had such a good imaging system. He was literally taking people's laptops, taking an image of their machine as it was, loading his image of the site onto it and adding it to the cluster. He needed every single piece of computer he could lay his hands on to stay alive. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, they, yeah, you know, these days you just say the cloud solves that, but I'm becoming more and more an advocate of cloud architecture, whether it runs in the public cloud, the private cloud, or in your premise. Yeah, I, I agree. A, a lot of companies are going to want to do a lot of things on premises, and it makes sense. A lot of companies are going to want to do certain things in the cloud, and that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think using the lessons of the cloud, you know, being able to run a lot of things with very few people is what you need to take into your own data center. You right. can run your stuff, but run it more intelligently. Um, I really, I, I, I truly do think this is where Microsoft has got a, a leg up, and I think it's going to be their ace up the, the sleeve. You know, Amazon has got a, a six or seven year head start in the cloud business. They've got enormous market share, but Amazon has got zero on premises. Right. They just don't think that way. Well, and they don't want it. And, and that's not what they do. Mm -hmm. But Microsoft has an opportunity. And this is, this is where, you know, you see Jeffrey Snover working on Azure Stack. They've got an opportunity to make whatever you choose to put in the cloud and whatever you choose to keep on prem operate seamlessly and you're going to manage them the same way regardless and it really does leverage their huge on-prem presence and make it a little bit easier for you to consume parts of the cloud when it's the right thing to do uh, i don't think azure is is as mature and offering feature wise but i think microsoft's vision exceeds amazon's vision microsoft's mm -hmm. execution just isn't all the way there yet but i do think they've got a really good long-term vision i think that's a very fair assessment and PowerShell seems to be at the kernel of a lot of this. It is. By hook or by crook, this is kind of what the company's landed on. Mm -hmm. and, and it's interesting. It, it definitely offers them a competitive advantage if they use it. You know, getting into to AWS pre them having something like PowerShell, uh, if you were going to be DevOpsy, you had to know, you know, Python or, or Perl or PHP or something else. And yep. those are programming languages, and they don't particularly offer a good composable administrative surface. So it's a little bit easier to get into PowerShell because it's designed to be composed a little bit more than programmed 
um, at least on the first layer of it. Yeah, even when we say programming in PowerShell, we are thinking differently than traditional programming languages, because I think the word programming scares a certain group of IT people off. Oh, yeah, definitely. But it's not like that. You'll like it. I promise. No, and, and you know, it's it's the Trojan horse. Once you get into it and you start thinking, you know, I wish I could just, and that's when you start dipping your toe into more more proper programming style structures with PowerShell. Yeah. And you realize, oh, this isn't that hard. And you do that for a couple of years and you're like, oh my God, I, I, I'm actually doing C-sharp. I, I didn't even realize <laughs> it, but it's very nearly C-sharp. There's yes. something I want to do. So, and you can just kind of glide path it right along as far as you need to, but you never have to go any further than you want to. It's awesome, Don. Well, suddenly a half hour has disappeared and uh, gotten to a good place. Thanks for your time. Absolutely. Good talking to you again. And where are we going to see you next? I am going to, uh, gosh, um, I will be in Orlando at TechMinner right. the second week of December. Mm-hmm. And then, gosh, I think the next major thing I would be committed to would be IT Edge Dev Intersections again in Orlando in May 2017. Yeah. And August 2017, TechMinner will be back at Microsoft's campus in Redmond, which is always a blast. It's always a great show. So I, I hope people check that out. Yeah. If you've never made it to the Microsoft campus, it's really something to see. And then in April, um, right near campus in Bellevue, we are doing uh, PowerShell and DevOps Global Summit. So if you're in the PowerShell world, uh, come come hang out with 200 of your closest new friends because it's a very limited, limited seat opportunity. Um, but it's a pretty amazing show. Awesome. Don Jones, thanks for coming on the show. Absolutely. And we'll talk to you next time on Run As Radio. <laughs>